but he's not he's not actually maximizing like how much time he could be getting like out of his zone two training. You know, like mm-hmm. doing two hours of zone two on Tuesday and then three hours with intensity on Wednesday. I would almost like flip those, and that could be a way where you you you're able to like hit your intervals a little bit fresher, and then you're also hitting those sprints a little fresher. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and today we're talking about how to structure your training to improve your sprinting, training for novice mountain bike racing, and when you should consider adding those other macronutrients into your ride fuel. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. If you want to make sure your training and race day nutrition is simple and reliable, head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IgnitionPodcast10 for 10% off your first order on all their different nutrition formulas. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions for the show, we have a new email address that you can reach us at matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title the Matchbox Podcast. Or head over to ignitioncoachco.com and fill out the Matchbox Podcast listener question form. All right, let's get into it. Um, okay, cool. So this uh, this this first first email that came in. So for for those of you listening, if you haven't heard yet, we have a new email for you to submit listener questions to. It's matchboxpod at gmail.com. So this is the first email that we got to the new email address. Uh, and this one comes from uh, Hudson. Says, I'm in my third year of consistent riding and second season of racing. I have convinced myself that I'm not a sprinter, but feel like I haven't put in enough effort to really say one way or another and see improving my sprint as the best means of improving my results. I'm currently hunting down points for my Cat 1 upgrade, so the days of getting away on pure power are likely behind me. I'm 72 kilos, see little reason as to why I can't do at least 1300 watts when fresh. I do mostly crit and road racing and will make the final selection only to get toasted at the end unless it's been exceptionally hard or is an uphill finish. So he says, if I'm training 13 to 20 hours a week with intensity days twice a week, um, should I do sprints on the Tuesday session with fresh legs? So this is Tuesday coming off of his off day on Monday. I don't think it would hamper my intensity that much on Wednesday. So he does rest day Monday. Tuesday, he normally does couple hours of zone two and then wednesday does three hours with intensity so he's trying to figure out should he do his sprints on tuesday or wednesday uh he's more so concerned about too many days of intensity in a week he said if it weren't for racing it would look similar uh or it if i were racing it would look similar with the racing on the weekend so mm-hmm. um i guess my overarching question is whether doing six to ten five second peak power sprints sends intensity signaling or not and whether that level of stimulus is something I should be concerned about adding into the week for someone at my volume slash experience. Love the podcast, Hudson. So again, he, he he's wondering should he should he separate out those those sprint workouts? Should he should he move those to a day where he's normally just doing like zone two training? And he's worried about if he does do that, will that send you know he's called it signaling to his body that that's an intensity day and thus making a third intensity day during his week instead of his usual two days of intensity. Yeah. So the first thing that I'll say is you should, since you're a road racer and particularly a crit racer, right? Is that, that's what he said? Crit and road racing, but yeah. Crit and road racing. You know, 
if you're going to be yeah, a crit and road racer, you you I don't think you should give up on your sprint because it's so important. Um, I mean, it is rare for uh, for there to not be any sort of sprint at the end of a crit or road race, even if you get in a breakaway you're probably going to have to sprint your breakaway companion at some point. Um, every once in a while, somebody comes across the line solo, but that's the exception to the rule. So that being the case, um, I don't think you should be ignoring your sprint unless you're just some a domestique for a team and that that's your job. Or you're like the lead out man or something uh, where, you know, you're not going to be the one crossing the finish line first. But if you if that is your intention to cross the finish line first, you need to be working on your sprint as a road racer. A hundred percent. And I wouldn't just give up on it because you think that you're not a good sprinter. Honestly, thirteen hundred watts fresh is I wouldn't call that I wouldn't call that a sprinter, but I wouldn't call that not a sprinter. I mean, it's it's not those are definitely not bad numbers. Um and I think you have the potential to. Yeah, so it sounds like he's not doing bit. 1300 watts. Um, yeah, yeah. Here, Adam, you're cutting out a little bit. I don't know what you said. Yeah, we lost Adam. No, you're good. Right. Just keep going. Okay. Um, anyway, so I think that if this person is not already doing gym work, uh, gym work is going to help with all aspects of this person's cycling, but their sprint in particular. So if they're not already doing gym work, they should definitely be adding in gym work, but that is not their question. Their question is when should they be throwing in uh, sprint specific training? You know, when should they be sprinting in the week? Should they do, should they have like a dedicated sprint day that's different than their high intensity day? And I know, I think coaches will probably go back and forth on this. And I don't think I've ever seen a study that has like a, separates a sprint day from an intensity day versus having sprint and intensity on the same day and then you know run that in different groups over the course of a a two-month cycle and then see who comes out better i've never seen a study like that but i think that it's best to when you have a zone two day to just keep it in zone two and not go over that that's kind of what i prescribe or what i prescribe and and what i stick to myself and I I work on sprinting myself because a lot of these gravel races are coming down to sprint finish finishes. I'm still not a great sprinter. I still get beaten sprints quite a bit, but I'm not going to give up on on trying to win a sprint every now and then. So, um, and I think though what, for that reason, I think for that reason there is a time and a place for the workout. That is, you know, you do a really long zone two ride or you know high tempo whatever. You're mixing it up kind of like a kitchen sink workout, but then you're throwing in the sprints at the end of a long day. Yeah. Well, he's still a road racer. Well, what I would, what I would do is have the sprints probably what, what I usually do myself and what I prescribe to people who need a sprint for whatever racing they're doing is that I'll usually throw in the sprints after their interval session. So for example, you know, it could be any interval session. It could be tempo. It could be, you know, uh, it could be threshold. It could be VO two max. I'll have them do the intervals. Like, let's say this is this person's Tuesday workout. Cause they say they do, uh, their intervals on, on Tuesday. So Tuesday workout, do the intervals. Uh, no, no, sorry. I'm, it, it's flipped. They do Monday off Tuesday zone two, Wednesday interval, then Thursday okay. zone two. Let's say this is their Wednesday ride. All right. Their Wednesday yeah. ride when they're doing intervals. Um, I would probably have them do, you know, do their workout and then do uh, maybe like four or five sprints 
in the last 30 minutes of the ride after they've done their intervals. They could also do one or two sprints before the intervals to see, you know, to get some interval or get some sprint work in on fresh legs versus on tired legs. But you do also have to remember that anytime you're sprinting for the finish line in a race, you're going to be sprinting on tired legs. You're not going to be sprinting on fresh legs. So it is, the argument can be made that you should, I I can see the argument being made for both ways, right? Sprinting on fresh legs to maximize, um, you know, maximize that, that part of the workout or sprinting on tired legs because that is more specific to sprinting in a race. Um, so I usually throw them in after I've done my intervals. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that too is, uh, like the intervals that whatever you're doing, whatever intervals you're doing during that period, like whatever energy, energy system you're focusing on, like that is just as important, if not more important than like your sprinting performance, because if you can't get to the sprint, like if you get dropped from the group before the sprint finish, then the the race is blown anyways. So you don't want to like risk compromising that part of your training either, unless you're like already maximized in like your threshold and VO2 max. And you're kind of like just focusing on these anaerobic sprints, but it sounds like that's not quite the case. Like you're still working on other, other parts of your fitness. Um, one thing that I wanted to point out here. So he does put his like kind of weekly schedule on here. So he says Mondays are off Tuesdays. He does two hours of zone two, then Wednesday, he does three hours with intensity. Thursday, three to four hours, zone two, Friday off. Saturday, four to five hours with intensity. And Sunday, four hours of zone two. And what I was going to say here is he's, he does like, he does some of his longest rides of the week or longer rides during the week on his days that he's doing his intensity, which like those are good, like quality training days. But he's not, he's not actually maximizing like how much time he could be getting like out of his zone two training. You know, like mm-hmm. doing two hours of zone two on Tuesday and then three hours with intensity on Wednesday. I would almost like flip those. And that could be a way where you, you, you're able to like hit your intervals a little bit fresher. And then you're also hitting those sprints a little fresher, you know? So like if you're doing those, those sprints at the end of a two hour intensity ride, uh, you know, you're probably gonna be a little more fresh than at the end of a three hour intensity ride. And same for his like Friday or Saturday, four to five hour intensity day with sprints at the end. Like, I mean, I think it's like, I, I understand the point of like trying to simulate a race and, and sprinting at the end of like a, you know, 120 mile road race or something like that. Um, but I, I, I think like, I think there's, there's going too far in that direction too, to where like you're, you're not getting as much out of those sprints. Um, like one mm-hmm. of these days for sure needs to be quality sprint performance if, if you want to actually improve that. Otherwise you're just kind of familiarizing yourself with like, the you know what it'll feel like to sprint in a fatigue state without actually like improving your sprints uh, yeah and and also if if sprinting if you're finding that every single race you do is coming down to some sort of sprint finish and the sprint is the thing that is you know make or breaking your placing in the race the sprint is the difference between you getting first place and you getting 20th place which is often the case in a road race then I don't see anything wrong with having one of your intensity days just being a dedicated sprint day. And that is the energy system that you're working on. You know, nothing else. It's just you're going out there and you're sprinting. And then between the sprints, you're just riding zone two. And maybe, you know, maybe instead of five or six sprints, you get in 10. 10. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. 
Okay, what does a sprint workout look like? Because if he's not if he's not needing the repeat repeatability of like thirty thirties, and he's mm-hmm. it's the the final sprint that we're talking about, then could you even argue that 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 specific workout could be replaced with a strength workout? Because strength is so important to hit that max power. Yeah. No, this is what I'm saying. That's why uh, that's a great point. And that's why I brought up the fact that if this person is not currently doing strength training, they need to be doing strength training. Um, I don't think that it should a strength workout should replace that. And there actually is one study about this where they had subjects do they had I think they had two groups, if I remember correctly, and they had one group just do strength training for the entire Uh, length of the study and then they had another group do strength training and then halfway through they switched to sprint training and from what i remember man i wish i had the study in front of me from what i remember the most of the performance metrics between the two groups weren't all that different um so if we're talking about you know their threshold and stuff like that. But I believe that the sprint power was higher in the group that did the sprinting, which I think makes sense because sprinting is, is more specific to sprint to sprinting, obviously. So I I think that the, the takeaway from that study is that you don't, you don't necessarily need to do sprints to, uh, or you don't necessarily need to replace your gym work with sprinting to improve your, I don't know, your threshold or whatever. But if sprinting is your goal, then then b- being specific and doing sprints may be important. Um, but if I, I I would also recommend doing gym work at the same time. Um, so if it's if the race schedule isn't so busy that you that you have to take out gym work completely, uh, I would. This is probably a person that I would have do gym work year round for sure. Yeah, so like to to get a little bit more specific and nuanced here, speaking directly to Hudson, like, you know, Monday's your day off. Right now you have Tuesday as two hours with zone two, and then Wednesday you're doing three hours of intensity. Like I talked about, I I would flip that. I would do like three hours of zone two on Tuesday, and then Wednesday, maybe you just do like an hour sprint workout, and then you go to the gym for an hour. And like, there's your two hour block of training that flip flop that do the gym in the work in the morning. Some people respond really well to having that type of activation beforehand. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming if he's not doing gym, he's probably going to have some muscle soreness. So that could hinder his afternoon workout, but either way, like you could experiment with that Hudson. Um, but that's what I would do is like block that intensity day and, 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 you know, have that. So you've got a sprint workout and it's kind of short and sweet and then you hit the gym and that's how you like make time for it and even if you're just getting into the gym once a week that's going to be better than not doing anything at all um, and you can get pretty focused on what what exercise you're doing to try and help maximize your peak power um, so but I do want to go back so Kate you were asking like sp- sprint specific workouts um, mm-hmm. and, and specifically I think you were asking like why like if he doesn't need repeatability, cause like, you know, assuming he's just sprinting for the finish, you know, and we're not talking like sprinting for preems three or four times and then also sprinting for the finish. Um, you know, like if he's just talking about sprint finish for the, the winning move of the race, um, the reason that you still do like those reps instead of like just doing like one or two, like max power is cause you, you do want to work on like your, we want, we want to build like your work capacity at that intensity too. Um, you know, so like, 
by doing 10, let's say, um, even if like the last four, you know, you're not hitting your 1300 Watts, you know, now you're dropping down to, you know, 1200 or a thousand or 900, um, you're still building like your work capacity so that hopefully like when you do get to the line, you still have that freshness like in the reserves, um, yeah. that you can burn a couple more matches throughout the race and still have that in, in your back pocket. Um, and you're not just like, you know, saving that one sprint and you can't do anything before that or else you risk, you know, losing a couple hundred Watts. Yeah. Um, I I think the last thing that I'll say about this question is that a lot of sprinting on the road just has to do with positioning. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, somebody with a thousand watt sprint could beat somebody with a 1300 watt sprint if they just position themselves better and time their sprint better and all of that. You know, Uh, somebody who horribly mistimes their sprint and is horribly positioned could easily lose to somebody who's putting out 300 less watts so that i mean that's that's something that you can work on uh for sure is just positioning yourself better and you don't need to be a better sprinter to do that so yeah yeah and this is where like race footage comes in really handy you know like hopping on the youtube and finding some like sprint finishes and and watching like you know the the guys that are like the best of the best at sprinting like how they're maneuvering themselves where they're positioning positioning themselves at the end of the race and like you'll see i mean like those guys, the guys that are like truly like really good, like quality sprinters, like they don't even panic ever. Like they're just so calm. They know exactly they're in the right spot. They know where to be. They're so confident in their own sprint that they like they're, ha- you know, they, 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 they're, they, they're patient. They're, they're not jumping at the gun, you know, and then like as soon as it's time to go, they like flat out go, you know, it's like no reserves, nothing, just everything you got. Um, you know, so I agree with that, Dylan. Like, that's that's a huge aspect of sprinting is just being in the right position at the right time. Cool. Kate, anything else to add there? No, I think we're good. Okay. Nailed it. Okay, so we got another another question here, again, to the new email address. I says, uh, and this one, they don't put their... Okay, they do put Trevor at the when, end. When did we advertise this new email? Last week. Oh, we, we, we've only had it for one week, so... All right. Um, yeah. So, Sick. high ignition coaches of all the cycling podcasts we have I listen a, to, we have a legal team as well. No, just just the Bonk Bros <laughs> has a legal team. Okay, we we don't we don't talk about as much controversial stuff on this in the show. I guess not. <laughs> uh, it says, okay, high ignition coaches of all the cycling podcasts I listen to, yours is my favorite because you take the time to not only explain the acronyms and, and concepts, but also the context and settings where these things count most and where they don't. I'm a 51-year-old lifelong gym rat who got into mountain biking when COVID shut down my gym. I really enjoy it, and so far I've I've kept it up after, and after doing better than expected in a few random local races, I've decided to go all in on my local mountain bike race series this year. The series is 10 races long, XC style, with gaps between races ranging from a week to a month plus. As a beginner, I'm in the Cat 3 50-59 class. The difference between Cat one, two, and three seem to basically come down to count to lap count. Um, with the threes doing a forty to sixty minute race, the twos and ones running two to three times as many laps in in run times of an hour, an hour and a half or so. Uh, since I'm coming from an anaerobic world, I am seeing lots of newbie gains in my aerobic training. I know from the weights this doesn't last forever, so I want to make the most of it while it lasts. I like winning and I want to finish strong in the rest of the races this season, maybe even moving up to cat two next year if I do well enough. 
I don't have much interest in long endurance stuff right now, so I'm really just training for these short XC races and my goal, my goals for the next couple of years. My question is, should I focus my training efforts to go all out and win at Cat 3 with the short distance, etc., or should I be training for the Cat 2 pace and distance this year and let those gains trickle down and benefit me in the that might and let them benefit me in the Cat 3 races as well? I usually have 10 to 16 hours a week to train in a mix of outdoor and indoor settings. Thanks, Trevor. That's a lot of training. 10 to 16 hours. Yeah. Um, so what is the what is the difference in race duration between Cat 3 and Cat 2 here? Yeah, so I think it's kind of dependent on the course, the amount of laps. So yeah. it doesn't say how long lap is. Yeah, but it sounds like you can probably double it, more or less. So, mm-hmm. you know, 40 to 60 minutes and then... Um, an hour and a half or so for the longer races. So yeah. close, to, close to double, double the duration. Okay. Uh, and this, per- and he's winning the, um, he's winning the cat three races. Yeah. His, his goal is to win them. I, I don't, he doesn't specifically say if he's, he says he's done well in some of them, but he, he doesn't specifically say if he's won any of them yet. Okay. Um, but his goal is to win the cat three races and then hopefully move up to cat two next year. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably fine. Um I think that you should yeah, I think you should spend a year in in the Cat 3s and kind of learn the ropes and then and then probably next year make the jump up to Cat 2. Uh if you were just dominating every Cat 3 race you entered right now, I I'd, I'd probably say go ahead and just go to Cat 2 already. Um but if that's not the case, then then probably spending this year in Cat Three and then going to Cat Two next year makes sense. Uh, is that is that the specific question? When should he upgrade? Or no? Is- so he, he, more so, he wants to know if he should be focusing his training on kind of the long term goal, which would be like to move up to Cat Twos and do well mm-hmm. there, or if he should stay focused on his current goal, which is winning the Cat Three races. Which you know, as we were reading this, I. I wasn't exactly sure, like, you know, in my mind, I was like, you know, they're both XC races. I get that one's a little bit longer. Um, but then when, when we got down to where he says he's training 10 to 16 hours a week, that's where like my mind really goes to like, I don't, I don't know that there's really, that there should be much difference in your training it, whether you're competing yeah, at the cat three or cat two level. Like if you're training that much, I mean, that's as much as the cat ones are training, maybe more than some of the cat ones even. <laughs> um, yeah. My initial response was why not? It sounded like he maybe wanted an excuse not to have to add longer endurance rides into his training week um, now and kind of wait till next year if that was the goal. But I feel like if he adds that in and if the long-term goal is Cat 2 anyway, why not add in the longer stuff now? Because I feel like that aerobic performance is only going to help him now or yeah. building up his endurance is only going to help him in these shorter ones. Right. Since he has, since he comes from an anaerobic background. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the more training, the more volume you do, the longer rides you do, there's like, it's only going to benefit your performance at the cat three races, even though they're shorter, mm-hmm. like they're still long enough that they're considered endurance events. You know, like when you're talking like really short anaerobic type, you know, bike races or running races or whatever, you know, you're looking at like a couple minutes or less. Mm-hmm. You know, once you get above no, like yeah. the mile, you know, like four minutes, like, you know, it's, it's primarily aerobic. So 
yeah, in my mind, I don't see any way that the that the extra training, especially like the longer rides, like you're saying, Kate, are are going to hinder your performance in the Cat Three. I, I see it only being a benefit here. Yeah, to state it super simply, there's no one training plan that focuses on only one energy system. Like you have your longer rides and your intensity days because all of the energy systems kind of support each other. So you've heard like you can push your FTP up from the bottom or you can pull it up from the top, but either way, you're you're raising your FTP. Yeah. I, yeah, and I, I also want to know like if he's if he says I don't have much interest in long endurance stuff right now. Um I want to I want to know like how are you getting 10 to 16 hours a week without longer rides cuz that like maybe you're doing two a days which which is what I was going to suggest if you're not already doing that and you don't want to do four you know 3 4 5 hour rides then maybe two said, a days would be you know an option for you if you have that much time to train and you can you know break your workouts up into two sessions and like that could be a way where you kind of get around the you know the 4 hour ride but you still get that volume in. Well, well he I think- said he was a gym, a gym rat. So he said 10 hours of training time is three of that, like three days a week, three hours gym time. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, maybe, maybe that might, yeah, might you know. have included gym time. Although yeah. I, I, he may have, he may have been, when he said that, he may have meant that he's not into endurance racing. You know, oh. he's, he's willing to do a, a three or four uh, hour endurance ride, uh, but yes. maybe doesn't want to do three or four hour mountain bike races oh yeah 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 sure yeah i could see that so i agree with you i don't i agree with you adam that a training for a 45 to 60 minute mountain bike xc mountain bike race uh versus training for an hour and a half xc mountain bike race on the exact same course i don't think your training is going to look drastically different at all to be honest with you. especially if you're already doing uh the kind of volume that you that you say you're doing so yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. mean, now, now if, if you were like a time crunched athlete in only training three hours a week, like then that's going to be part of the difference is like, you know, someone who's only training three hours a week, yeah. you know, that might be better suited for a 40 minute race. It's not that they're going to do better in the 40 minute race than someone who's training six hours a week. It just means that they're going to do better in the 40 minute race than they would do in the 90 minute race because they just don't have as much fitness. But the person mm-hmm. who's training six hours a week is going to probably do better in the, the 40 minute race and the 90 minute race. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Sweet. So yeah. Yeah. Trevor, just keep, keep doing what you're doing. If you're, if you're hitting 10 to 16 hours a week, whether that's like all on the bike or combination of bike and gym training, I mean, that's, that's plenty, plenty, plenty of training, especially for these cat three races. So I would just make sure you're getting pretty specific with your, your actual interval structure, you know, make sure you're hitting the right energy systems and getting quality workouts in, um, also, if you're, you know, you're in the 50 to 59 class, so you're, you know, definitely a master's racer, make sure you're getting plenty of recovery in too. Um, I don't, I've never been a gym rat, but I've done lots of weight training and there are some weight training programs that don't follow like a three week on one week deload. Like sometimes they go seven weeks on one week off. So just don't fall into that trap where you're spending too many weeks without having that deload week. Um, you know, typically for my master's athletes, I'm doing two weeks on and then maybe not a full week off, but like five days off, like a Monday through Friday as a deload and then get back to it like on Saturday, Sunday. Um, but usually we're just doing two, primarily two weeks unless we're like maybe just in base training. Yeah. I have coached, uh, ex gym rats in the past and they usually have way more muscle 
than your typical cyclist. And it's probably, I don't, I usually don't say this about cyclists. I, um, I usually think cyclists need to be doing more gym work, but <laughs> it, it's, it's sometimes it can be to the, I, and I don't know what this person's particular body type is like. I don't know if they have, have a ton of muscle or not a lot of muscle, but if they're an ex gym rat, I'm assuming they've Let's got a lot of muscle. Let's assume Trevor's yoked. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, this is going to kind of be a question of of what is important to you. Is it important that you go as fast as you possibly can at cross-country mountain biking? Or is it also important that you're strong in the gym as well as going pretty fast at cross-country mountain biking? If If your goal is to be as fast as you can possibly be at cross-country mountain biking you will likely want to lose some of your muscle mass. And I don't know if that sounds like nails on a chalkboard to you. It might if you're an ex-gym rat, but, um, you know, it may be a case of of uh, maybe you got to cut out like the upper body stuff. Maybe you even got to um, tone down on the on the lower body stuff, which I, I never say about cyclists. This is a very particular scenario where we're talking about an ex-gym rat. And uh, I'm not a saying few exceptions to the rule. Look at Lucas Bauer. He's like a monster. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that in this in this very particular situation, depending on how muscular you are, uh, you may want to cut down. I and I, I also don't know how much gym. I don't know if this person cut out gym completely. They're just like screw the gym. I'm a mountain biker now. In which case, maybe you should add a little bit more gym back in. I don't. I don't know what the scenario is, but I do know from coaching ex gym rats that usually they've got more muscle than is optimal for cycling. Um, at least the type of cycling that they want to do. So just just a thought. Yeah, and XC racing can be kind of tricky there because you do benefit from having like some some good like upper body strength and like you know you're probably going to use a little bit more like calf muscles and maybe some more hamstring muscle um just with like how much out of the saddle like in and out of the saddle you're doing and rocking and leaning on the bike over and everything. So like there is kind of that balance like you do want to definitely maintain some upper body and lower body strength, but it's also like a very punchy and quick accelerations. And typically mm-hmm. it's like, you know, climbing or rolling terrain. So like, yeah, having more mass is going to make it, you know, more difficult to go uphill. So there's a balance there. Sweet. All right. Drew's here. I wasn't going to see Popped on late. I feel like that was the last question and uh, I'm here for the outro. It might yeah. be a lot. We are at 30 minutes, so it might be the yeah. last question. Did we only do two? Question. Did we only do two questions? We did two very quality questions. All right. Yeah, those were pretty quality. What, yeah. what were they? So, what were, you're just going to have to listen. <laughs> just kidding. Yep. Well, I'll pop in just uh, to Let's say do hi. another one for your sake. Hi, Come on. Hi, Rick. Take your coaching. Organic about that on my day. We need to build more organic for our podcast. Yeah. So totally. basically every time somebody asks us a question on the matchbox, my first response is and then I'll give. Yeah, I mean if if Dylan was coaching Trevor here, he would definitely have more context and background into how much muscle mass Trevor has. So that uh that would have been very helpful. So yeah. I mean, how many questions do we have where we wish we knew more about the person to answer the question? Every single one. Yeah. And, and I, and I mean, to be honest, that, that's probably part of a, why both these questions were kind of extensive answers mm-hmm. is like the, the questions were a little bit longer and the longer the question, the more context we have, the better answers yeah. we can give. So it is helpful, even though it might seem like it's a burden to send in like a whole, you know, book of worth of question. Like it, it is helpful. 
Are we doing right. another one? You're the only one with another question, <laughs> which is we, surprising. Usually, you're the one that wants to go to It's been a while. First. Well, we're doing, we're doing yeah. this podcast at night instead of in the morning. And I'm back on the okay, East Okay, we can do a quick one here because this one actually might go. be pretty, pretty quick. All right, we'll do a quick one. Discuss. Okay. Okay, so this last question here comes from Kyle. Again, to the new email that Drew set up, and Drew's with us now. So Kyle it's, says... It's, I, beca- it's because of that email that I finally got my email monetized. I had to create nice. a new Gmail. Well, so it's like, I'm just... Just don't let it get hacked. Yeah, I yeah. know. I'm, man, somebody's <laughs> out to get me. It's like, they've tried to hack, like, multiple of my accounts. It's All right, bad. let's let's get on to the Drew, question. This is why, this need- is why we weren't <laughs> going to do another question. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely love. Okay, so this one comes from Kyle. He says, I recently heard a popular writer talking about his fueling in terms of calories, not just carbohydrates. It kind of annoyed me, but then got me thinking, <laughs> is there a duration at which you'd need to be concerned with other macro intake and not just cramming in as many carbs per hour as you can tolerate? We had yeah, I would say with, uh, flow. Caleb, if you go back into the Matchbox archives, I feel like he touched a lot on the, like, kind of what this guy's talking about. Like, well, why? Why are things so carb? Well, this person, podcast this person specifically is asking, what is the point at what at what race distance or I don't know, mm-hmm. ride distance? Do you need not just carbs? You need carbs. fat and protein as well. Well, I'm Caleb assi- had said something in that podcast about like, if you put other things that aren't optimal in your body, you're just like wasted GIs. Yeah. That's the way no, I interpreted no, it. That, that, would, that, would, that would be a good podcast to listen to, but, and I agree with all of that, but there is definitely a point because you realize that there are bike races that are months long, you know? There's like the tour divide could last a month for a person. You're, you definitely don't want to ju- eat just carbs for a month. Like you're probably not going to survive. Oh yeah, I feel like that one's kind of obvious. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> that's the que- that's the that's the question he's asking. Like, at what point do you need to have protein and fat as well? Like, is it at unbound? Do you need protein and fat for a twenty-four hour race? Do you need protein and fat for for like a three-day epic? Do you need protein and fat? Like, what is the point at which you need to add protein and fat? In that? Okay, really, I think he needs to think less about duration and more about intensity because you've done eight-hour rides that are full gas the whole time, eight-hour eight races, but are you taking in protein and fat? No, but if the average person who's chilling for eight hours or, like, they're racing their eight-hour pace, they're probably not going to do solely carbs. So I think it depends on the intensity. So, yeah, no, it does depend on the intensity for sure. But ge- I, I, I think generally the longer the race gets, the intensity gets lower and lower and lower. So... My my answer to this was going to be, so Unbound, for example, I think you can get away with just carbs, no matter how long it takes you, um, unless we're talking like it's going to take you 24 hours. I think at the point that we start talking about races that are going to take 24 hours or longer, that's the point at which we need to start adding in protein and fat. So if we're talking about a 24-hour mountain bike race, I think that there's a good case to be made for adding in uh, protein and fat there. And then of course, when we're talking about bike packing races where you're going for multiple days and in what benefit are you looking for with adding in those proteins and fats? Well, I think that if, so if you just, if you consume only carbohydrates for multiple days on end, um, you're seriously going to be hampering your, your muscle recovery. Um, like if you, if you, if you don't take in it, it, for example, if you were to do some sort of bike packing race, 
where you're going for three or four days straight and you don't, and you don't take in one gram of protein, like it's all just straight carbohydrates, you're, you're going to, your muscles are, your, your muscles are breaking down as you're riding and there is no protein coming into your body to help build them back up. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and I think that, I think that, so I guess the question is like, at what point does that become important? I mean, I think it, I think it becomes important in events that are lasting longer than one day. In races where you actually recover. Yeah, sure. You're not sure. recovering during an unbound. You're racing the whole right. time. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Also, races that are that long are low enough in intensity that um, hopefully you don't have to worry about GI distress because you're going at such a low intensity. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, Drew, to, to circle back to what you were saying about the, the podcast we did with Caleb from Flow, that's what he was alluding to was that if you're taking in other other nutrients besides what your body like specifically needs as fuel in the moment then it's taking away from your your body's ability to break down those carbohydrates which is using as race fuel um not so much that like those other nutrients won't at some point be of benefit but it's that they could come at a detriment to your body's ability to uptake those carbohydrates causing mm-hmm. and then cause GI distress and, and so on. So you said it better. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> and, and that's where, I mean, that's kind of Kate, what you're getting at was, you know, the, the intensity does matter, you know? So if you're doing unbound and it's taking you 15 hours and you're not going at a pace that you're like exerting yourself extremely hard the entire time, um, you could benefit from having some, you know, some, you know, nutrition intake other than just, you know, carbohydrates, even though flow, you're a sponsor, like, we support you and we love you, but like, you know, you might want to take in something above and beyond just that flow carbohydrate drink mix, you know, maybe some like peanut butter sandwich or something like that. That's got a little bit of fats and proteins. Um, just get a flat, those squirt flasks. Yeah. A lot of ultra ride riders will, will just bring a, a jar of peanut butter with them. And that's, wow. you know, it's, it's got a bit of protein, decent amount of fats. Yeah. If there I, yeah, have been, there have been, I feel like well, they just add in the amino acids. I know goo does that with the rock team that mm-hmm. it's like an amino acid blend. Personally, I think that goo putting in amino acids in their gels is 100% marketing. Um, and the reason I say that is because if you look at the amount of amino acids, it's such a small amount, um, that I think that people that don't know any better are just like, Oh, well, it's got amino acids in it. It's like, it's a very small amount of amino acids. And I don't think it's particularly helpful either. I mean, there's a reason why flow is only carbohydrates. Um, and it's because there's not re- there's not really research to suggest that having protein in there as well is going to be helpful. In fact, if anything, it's probably going to be detrimental because as Caleb said on that podcast, anything in there that is not fueling you in the moment is only going to upset your, your gut more, which you want to avoid if you're trying to maximize the amount of carbohydrates you're taking. This isn't what I said. Dylan does this every time. He just takes what we say and copy it and says it in a more <laughs> elegant, <don't> know, scripted manner. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So, so, anyways, going I back, guess. Kyle. Uh, well, I don't. So, I don't. I don't. Twenty four hours, right? <laughs> I don't know if Caleb answers his question in that podcast because I don't know if we talked about like at what point do you need. Oh, more I agree. Than I don't. Flow. I don't think he directly does. I think he just helps to explain the the importance of. Yeah. Uh, limiting your intake when you are trying to maximize your carbohydrate uptake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I don't know. Just don't do any races that are that long, dude. Come on. <laughs> That's what I would say. <laughs> well, I don't even know if he's doing. I don't even know if he's doing races that long. I think he's just theoretically asking at what point is it? Do you need more than just carbs? Which is an interesting question. Yeah. So and if you again. struggle to eat something that's just carbs, like if you're struggling to eat another gel because you just are tired of it, well, like experiment with other things. If you're motivated to eat a PB&J, then try it in training and like maybe it'll work for you. I know all kinds of people that put gummy bears in their pocket. But they know they're going to eat. At mm-hmm. BWR, Any fuel Lance better than it. no fuel. BWR, Lance Hayden handed me a sour gummy worm and I was like, Sure. And it was like the worst tasting. I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was dirty or if he like it's probably in his sweaty pocket. Dude. Yeah, it probably yeah. was. But it's probably why I gave it to you. He probably or I took a bite did, out of it and was like, yeah, I, I just don't want I, that. I took it because I was like, yeah, that might taste good, but I wasn't exactly like craving a sugary sour gummy worm, and I ate it, and I was like, that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I think I think that's gonna wrap it up here. Sour yeah, that was not a quick question at all. Could have been. It's because I was here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sweet. Well, thanks for the late night pod, guys. Yeah. Right. And gals. We'll, we'll see you next week. See ya. See ya. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title, the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go! I've never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator. This is where the coach comes into the picture. Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand in hand, and it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today. Ignition Coach Co., developing coaches, connecting athletes.